Hello. In this episode, I share some super simple, impactful wins that you can put into action in your project to create your sustainable home. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. last episode, I shared some pretty harsh statistics about how our homes can negatively impact us and the environment, both during construction and to live in. Now, whilst those statistics may be difficult or overwhelming to hear, I do hope that they also motivated you to see just how much impact you can make with how you design, renovate or build your home. And that focus on key areas can not only be impactful environmentally, it can also make your home a healthier place to live and save you money in its construction and in its running costs. So I promised that I would provide you with some super simple, impactful wins or tips that you can put into action in your project straight away. Okay. Now, these are the types of tips that if you know them up front, you can create a design that incorporates them and it costs nothing more to you. All right. So I have a few tips of my own. And I actually also found when I was doing some extra research for this episode, I found a great list that's been put together by the Department of Public Housing in Queensland that's called 10 Tips for Smart and Sustainable Housing. And it actually provides a really good framework. So this episode, it'll be a combination of all of this information. So I'm going to give you 12 tips in total. Okay. And in future episodes, we'll dive into some of these areas in much more detail as well. So my main and my first tip always, the one that I actually believe gets you 80% of the way there in designing a sustainable home and the one that I encourage you to start with before worrying about anything else. And I've been talking about this so much and you've probably be sick of hearing about it if you've been listening to the Undercover Architect podcast for a while, but I seriously believe it's the single biggest thing and one of the simplest things that you can do to create a home that is sustainably designed that feels great and that you feel great in and that it supports your well-being and is low cost uh, in the long-term running of your home as well. So what is it? Say it with me now. Know where the sun moves across your property and design for it. Using the natural assets of your site to add value to your home, it's a no-cost design choice, okay? And it's the quickest way to create an enjoyable living environment. When a house is designed this way, it actually maximizes the amount of natural daylight and ventilation. It reduces the need for artificial heating and also for artificial lighting and cooling. Look, this is an opportunity to create a beautiful living environment and be confident that every day of the year, natural light will come in or stay out as you have designed it to. It's really, I mean, it's seriously amazing. And This matters because research actually shows that natural light helps us with regulating our circadian rhythms and it stimulates the production of vitamin D and serotonin, which aid in mental, spiritual and physical health. So put simply, access to natural light daily sustains us in our health and our well-being. Now, 
There are a few great rules that always help with the arrangements of spaces and rooms to respond to the movement of the sun. Uh, So this is about accessing natural light at the times that you want to and to be able to keep out the heat when you want to keep it out, let it in when you want to let it in and manage the sun's warmth and light overall. Okay, so when we're using orientation uh, or understanding of the movement of the sun in the design of our home, these are some key guidelines. And so if you're in the, the northern hemisphere, switch south for north when you hear it, okay? So these are the guidelines I always suggest to people. Number one is to put the living areas to the north and the northeast. Uh, and this means that they'll face the moving sun and they'll get natural light all day long. And then you can manage the sun's summer heat by providing shade via eaves and overhangs. Number two is to put the storage, garaging, laundry, bathroom areas, those service areas to the west. Okay, so these low areas, they can actually handle the heat of the setting sun. That afternoon sun, even in winter in some areas, can pack some punch. All right. And so these areas, they're low use, small use. They can handle You can handle being in them and them uh, getting that afternoon sun and choose deciduous planting for shade if you live somewhere cold and you actually want to capture the afternoon warmth in winter. Uh, Number three is to put your kitchen areas to the east and to make the most of the morning sun at brekkie time to help wake you up and get you going with your day. And then number four is to put bedrooms to the east or to the south. Now, I like putting them on the east if the homeowner likes waking to sunlight or I put them on the, the south or this will be the north in the northern hemisphere if you like that low glare ambient even light. Okay, and studies and home offers um, home offices will like south facing orientation too as the light is a fairly constant level with little heat load. Now, once you know and design for the movement of the sun, look at all those other natural features on your block of land. Where do main breezes come from? What are your best outlooks? Where do you require privacy from overlooking all the street? These kinds of things, they're all assets or they're drawbacks for your site. And if you can maximize them or minimize them as you need to in the design of your renovated or new home, it will help you create a place that's enjoyable to live in and that works. And this is seriously where I believe every design should begin in order to create a home that feels great and functions well. And you don't really know it until you've experienced it. And then once you've experienced it in a home that you live in, you never want to go back. Okay. So the entire season one of the podcast is all about this very topic. Okay. So if you want to know more about orientation, designing for orientation, maximizing the natural assets of your site, go and listen to season one. Okay. So that's my big tip. Number one, my big tip. Number two is to lower your home's energy use. So what I mean by this is assessing your lighting selection, your water heating uh, type, any artificial heating and cooling you're using, your appliances, anything that's going to draw electricity to drive it, and then choose the most efficient products and fixtures that you can afford for your budget. So you can then also assess what you can do in the design of your home to be thermally comfortable and to be well lit naturally so that you can avoid turning lights on during the day and you cannot have to put the heater or the air conditioner on at different times of the year. Okay, so those are the two tips that I seriously provide every homeowner who's asking me how to design a sustainable home. It's designed for the movement of the sun and lower your home's energy use overall, because if you nail both of those, you are going to make a massive dent in achieving sustainability, as well as creating a home that feels and functions well. Now, let's dive into the 10 tips for smart and sustainable housing that come from the Queensland Department of uh, Public Housing, because there's some pearls in there as well. And so I'm going to take you through 
through them one by one and I'm going to share my views and experience as we move through them about how you can implement them simply and also give you some extra resources so that you can check it out if you need more helpful information. So the first tip that they have is to conserve water. So conserving water can actually be done in two ways in our homes. The first is to target how water comes out of your taps. So choosing water efficient fittings and appliances. Now the WELLS scheme or the Water Efficiency Labelling and Standards Scheme, W-E-L-S, in Australia, it rates various items that we'll choose for our homes with a star rating to show their water efficiency. Now, it's got almost 23,000 products registered at the time of recording this podcast uh, and rated. All right, so it's a great place to start and check the water efficiency of the specific products that you're specifying or to find ones that have the kind of water efficiency you're looking for. There's items like tapware, shower heads, your dishwasher, you know, so you can find all those types of things there. And I'll pop a link in the show notes to that website. The Your Home website, the government website that I've mentioned before, it actually talks about the fact that 12% of Australia's water use is in residential homes. And of our indoor water use, 34% are used by the shower. And then the toilet is 26%. So over a quarter of our indoor water use is flushed down the loo. The laundry uses around another 23%. So the average use per person in Australia in a house is 340 litres per day. So reducing that where you can is, is going to be a massive saver for you, not only for water generally, but for your costs as well. Now, in the USA, the average use per person is actually fairly similar. And the Environmental Protection Agency, they have a water sense label that you can look for to assess the water efficiency of your choices. In the USA, the toilet is actually the biggest uh, water consumer in the home and it's bigger than the shower. So, um, and the WaterSense website has products that can reduce that water use in your toilet by up to 20%. So I'll pop a link to the WaterSense website in the show notes as well for the USA listeners. Now we've talked about limiting the water that comes out of the taps or that we flush down the toilet, those types of things. The other area to target water conservation in your home is how your water is actually supplied and disposed of. Now this can mean including rainwater tanks in your home and it can also mean connecting them to your garden irrigation uh, to flush your toilet and supply your laundry and you can also go further in using grey water and even black water. Now 40% of a home's water use, according to the Your Home website, is actually used for outdoors. Okay, so if you can have a rainwater tank to take care of that, then that's going to be a big reduction in your water usage overall. So when you're thinking about conserving water when you're building or renovating, first consider your selections of fixtures and products and choose water efficient ones as much as you possibly can and that you can afford. Consider if you can include a rainwater tank to provide for uh, your water for your outdoor use and then also look up whether look at whether it's going to be hooked up to other things like flushing your toilet and supplying your laundry as well and look at how you can specify low water use, you know, really hardy plants for your outdoors that don't necessarily need a lot of water so that you can lower your water requirements for your outdoor areas. Now, tip two is to heat and cool the home naturally. So touched on this in my first big tip of designing for the movement of the sun. This can also be known as passive solar design. And the idea is that once you're designing your home to allow the light in, but you're managing the heat of the sun according to the time of the year, then you can naturally heat your home during winter and you can keep your home 
cool during summer. So as part of this passive solar design, you're also going to be considering how you can maximize natural cross ventilation by understanding where your breezes come from at different times of the year and allowing them into your home. One really big mistake that I see homeowners make is that they don't ask their designers about how their windows are going to open. You know, they get they they get drawn on these um, elevations on your on your drawings, um, and home and I see designers put windows on the upper floor in particular, um, and they'll design them based on how they need to look on the elevation. You know how they sort of aesthetically balance and what they look like geometrically. And then in order for them to meet the building code, they'll all need to have restricted openings on them because their sill heights are too low to um, perform as a balustrade. And so all of a sudden you've got all of this glass that you're paying for in your home, but none of it's providing decent natural ventilation because it can only open a limited amount in order to meet the building code. So when you're thinking about your the design of your windows and those types of things, make sure that you've checked that off with your designer so that you understand how your windows are going to open and how much they're going to open so you can maximize that natural ventilation where possible. You're also going to be considering as part of this heating and cooling naturally what your climate and its conditions and how you need to make selections around materials and insulation so that your home can protect you and maintain its indoor air temperature. And we're going to be talking more about understanding and designing for your local climate and how to create an energy efficient home in the next episode. Now, tip number three is to heat water efficiently. So heating water can actually account for around 25% of our home's energy use. And there are various ways to heat our home's water. Some of them are definitely more efficient than others. So you've got solar and heat pumps. They can be great choices for energy efficiency. Um, And and it's also looking at whether you've got a storage system or an instantaneous one. Now, choices around this, they'll come down to your budget, the type of power supply that you might have in your area, whether, for example, you've got gas available and the space that you have available to provide for your hot water heating needs. The Australian government's actually got some helpful information on hot water heating selections. So I'll pop a link to that in the show notes so that you can check that out. And in the USA, you've actually got some different options on the type of solar or gas or electricity that you'll heat your home's uh, water supply. Um, And you've got some extra choices on top of those ones. Okay. So there's some other like propane and those types of things. So I've popped some helpful link in the show notes for you guys as well to assist with your selection because there's a range of energy star rated hot water heaters and they can be a great place for you to start and to give you a basis of comparison on a hot water unit's energy efficiency and how you might be making your selection. Now, the other thing I'd like you to remember in the efficiency of your hot water unit is how far the hot water actually has to travel in your home to get to where it's needed. So hot water will cool as it obviously travels through pipes to get from the hot water unit to the tap that it's coming out of. So I always recommend where possible that you design your home so that your wet areas like your laundries, your kitchens, your bathrooms, that they're arranged near each other or that when you've got a double story home that they're on top of each other. So a bathroom upstairs might be over a kitchen downstairs. Um, And then you locate the hot water unit near to that because this can help with not only lowering your heating of water requirements, Um, and the demand that you place on your hot water unit Um, it can also help with conserving water too because you're not standing there with the tap running for ages waiting for hot water to come to that tap okay so it's going to assist you with your plumbing infrastructure as well Um, the further apart you locate these things the more plumbing you're going to have so you can save you know lots of money in terms of your water use your water heating and your um, construction costs as well 
Now, tip number four is about aging in place and this idea of future-proofing your home. Now, this isn't about future-proofing technology-wise, but it's about considering the design of your home and how it will remain accessible and user-friendly as you or someone else in your family ages and perhaps might need walking assistance, such as a walking frame to get about or can't navigate stairs easily. And look, this isn't just about being older in your home. Homes that have minimal level changes and wider hallways that flow easily from indoors to outdoors with lots without lots of steps you know they can be fantastic for little ones as well in helping babies and toddlers be safe as they learn how to move and walk and you know as they navigate the home itself um, or even as perhaps we might look be looking at bringing a pram from inside to outside sorry from outside to inside you know how all that might work I've actually had many clients who've located a guest bedroom and a bathroom on the lower level, the main living level of the home. And they found that they've done that. They've wanted to do that because it's great for when grandparents come to stay. It also means that if anyone has an injury, they can recuperate in that bedroom and not have to worry about needing to get upstairs to bed each night. You know, when I was actually in my twenties, I had an accident uh, where I broke my leg and I needed, you know, significant amount of knee reconstruction. And I spent seven months in a full leg brace. So stairs, (laughs) I saw them in a whole new light after that I was on crutches for a really long time and uh and had a big had a really big recovery and so um you know living all on one level um, was very handy at that point so there's actually a fantastic resource called livable home australia it can be an awesome place to start in understanding key areas to target in your design if you're seeking to achieve this in your home and this this uh, website will support you wherever you're located in the world Designing like this, it not only helps the sustainability of your lifestyle in your home, it also helps your home appeal to a wider market um, if you're, if and when you're looking to sell. Okay, so I'll pop that link in the show notes to Livable Housing Australia. Now, if you're someone who needs special consideration to make your home accessible over the long term, perhaps you've got a chronic illness or something like that, and you know that over time um, that you're going to be having different requirements or place different demands on your home, an occupational therapist can actually be a good consultant in your design process as well. Uh, And in the USA, there's a woman that I've connected with named Nicole Kane. She provides a lot of support and advice around this type of information. And the reason I mention her is because she's got a podcast that um, called Home and Place that has some great information about this. So I'll pop that in the show notes as well so that you can have a listen to that uh, and grab some more information. Now, tip number five follows on from this, and this is also uh, about accessibility, but about safe floors. Okay, so this is about minimizing level changes so that you don't have trip hazards uh, and you're selecting finishes that are slip resistant as well so that you minimize injuries um, and challenges in that regard. You know, depending on where you're located, your local building code, it may only have limited requirements in terms of what a house needs, you know, in terms of slip resistance. And that may or may not include bathroom floors, for example. It's actually been, it's always been really interesting to me um, because for the longest time, uh, the building code has required that, you know, the floors of hotel bathrooms and schools and supermarkets and those types of things, they're all legally required to have a specific level of slip resistance um, for the flooring choice, but our homes aren't always required. That has changed in some recent 
updates to the National Construction Code, but it still doesn't apply to as many areas in our homes as it does in um, commercial construction and other types of, of buildings. Now, this can get all a bit technical when you're making selections, but if it's at its simplest level, I'd love you to start opening up the conversation when you're in a tile showroom or you're speaking to tilers or to tiling suppliers about the R rating or the P rating of the tile. So these th- these ratings are actually what determine how a surface will perform under dry or wet conditions. So I believe that hotels actually require um, an R10 rating or more. Um, and, you know, by all means, check that out for where you're located. But what I'm why I'm mentioning this is that you may choose to specify tiles for your home bathroom that have an R10 rating so that you're achieving a similar slip resistance and you're managing your risk for, of slips and falls in that regard. Okay, so that can also be something worth considering um, for, sta- for sustainability and health and well-being in your home. Now, tip six and seven are from the, Depart- the Queensland Department of Public Housing's 10 tips for a sustainable, uh, smart and sustainable home. They may sound a bit strange when it comes to sustainability, but remember this topic of sustainable design, it also relates to our health and our well-being, and that can be supported by our feeling of security in our home. So tip number six is to address the street, and tip number seven is to ensure casual surveillance. Now, I talk a lot about these, uh, both these topics in season two of the podcast, specifically in an episode that I did on home entries. So I'm going to pop a link to that episode in the show notes. But what we're talking about about here is the ability of your home to be easy to find on the street. So well-lit street number, well-lit street entry, you know, visible street entry, uh, and that it's easy to access as well. So good lighting, separating the driveway from the front entry path, you know, that the front door is visible or the pathway to the front door is visible. You know, this also relates to your home's front garden, feeling like a threshold between the public domain of the street and the private domain of your home. It's a space that tells visitors exactly where they need to go so they're not aimlessly wandering around looking for your front door or that they're not compromising the privacy of your or security of your home at that level. Now, casual surveillance or natural surveillance, as I call it, uh, is about creating great indoor-outdoor connections that enable you to carry on everyday life in your home, but still keep an eye on what's going on outside. So this can be in supervising play spaces um, whilst you're in the living or kitchen space. So the kids can be outside mucking around whilst you're inside in your living room or in your kitchen. And it can also be about your home having eyes on the street. So it actually feels like the home can see the street and that strange behavior doesn't go unnoticed in the street. This level of security is a natural one. It's one that can be achieved without bars, high fences, you know, um, security screens, those types of things. It actually helps it helps to enhance the security of our homes and of our streets and of our suburbs. And it can really enhance a feeling of community as well because of that interaction between the home and the public domain. So as I said, I've got a a specific episode about this. I'm going to pop it in the show notes so that you can listen to that if this is of interest to you and if you've started thinking about how your home is going to address the street so that you can um, maintain this natural surveillance and you can have a home that feels secure. Now, tip number eight focuses on how your home can be sustainable by reducing its need for maintenance. All right, so every time you choose a a product or a material or a finish for your home, you're also making a choice about how long it's going to be before you have to repair it, refinish it or replace it down the track. 
All right. So sometimes we can be feel really pinched by budget and be choosing low cost items. But in choosing a low cost item, we can be we, what we can actually be setting ourselves up for is the fact that we're going to have to replace that item in the short term and have another financial cost down the track. Okay. Now, in terms of sustainability, this can be about your home's ability to weather its natural climate and not break down over time and to weather the daily life of your family in your home. And this can be also about your relaxation and well-being overall and not having to spend every weekend maintaining your home. This is also about financial sustainability. So the last thing you want to do is to make a big chunky investment in your build or renovation and then to continue to have to make costly investments in repairing, repainting, replacing, refinishing things, either doing it yourself or hiring people to do that for you. And the thing with homes is that a lot of stuff is built in. So to replace it or to repair it can actually be quite expensive because you have to undo a lot of work to then redo it. Okay. So whether you're building or renovating, when we're thinking about material choice, for your home and sustainability overall, I recommend that you look for materials that are durable so you don't have to worry about things breaking down or needing replacing uh, in the short term. You look for low maintenance products uh, so that you don't have to stress about keeping them looking as great you know, on your home as time progresses So and as, t- and as your home ages. So you know, products that you might not have to repaint or that you don't have to refinish. So thinking about how you're going to choose low maintenance materials. Think about how you can choose materials and products that are timeless in design and quality. All right. We can get really sucked into trying to be on trend, but when you choose timeless products and finishes, this can help you feel that your home's not dating every year, every decade, and you know that you're going to have to replace things in order for it to look on trend again. I also want you to think about choosing materials and products that are strong and resilient in our climatic conditions, wherever you're located. Okay. You know, so this isn't, you don't have to fear about them deteriorating and your home being less sound or protective of you and your family and your belongings over the long term. Make sure you choose materials and products that are from reliable brands so that you know that they'll still be here in the future and that you can ensure warranties are honored and that you, you know, you can have future issues dealt with if you need to. There's no point choosing something that's cheap that might have a 20 year warranty if you can't have confidence that that brand's going to be here in 20 years time to be able to honor that warranty. And Make sure that they're marked with a brand, okay? This is about you ensuring that you get what you pay for. I've seen lots of homeowners run into problems where they've specified a specific brand, the homeowner's sourced a cheaper product, the brand's not been stamped on it, the homeowner's not known, and you know, and it's been very challenging then down the track for the long-term maintenance of that. So you want to make sure that you're working with reputable people, that you're getting what you're paying for, and that you're specifying specific brands if that's what you want to do. And then the last tip I have for choosing materials is that that you actually look at materials that are going to deliver on your expectations and even exceed your expectations for years to come. So those those reputable products that you know have been around for a really long time and have been tested in real life scenarios that are similar to yours. Now, tip number nine is about indoor air quality. So I mentioned in the last episode in one of the stats that I had that we spend between 80 and 90% of our time indoors. And so the quality of our indoor air environment can have a huge impact on our health and well-being. 
We're going to talk a lot more about this in future episodes because it's a really big topic, but I'd like you to start just putting this idea on your radar. We often assess the choices that we're making for our interiors based on how we like the style or the color or how it fits into our budget or if it's on trend, you know, but if that product also has a really high level of what's known as VOCs or volatile organic compounds, it means it's going to off gas over time and that's going to make the quality of our indoor uh, air environment not so great. And so we're going to be making a poor choice for our home overall. Now, if you're diving into selections for your home right now and you can't wait for a future episode in this season, um, there's a brilliant book by Melissa Wittig of Healthy Interiors. I interviewed Melissa in season four of the podcast. She's an interior designer. And in this book, The Smart Living Handbook, she actually lays out all the choices that you'll need to make for your home's interior. And she suggests how to make low-tox and low-impact material product selections instead so that you can promote this healthy indoor air environment. I've got a copy of this book. I refer to it quite a lot. And I'm going to pop a link in the show notes for you so that you can grab a copy for yourself as well. It's really low-cost. Um, book and it's a great way to have something to refer to to make these selections confidently. Now another professional that you can bring on board at this process is a building biologist. Um, They're a great expert in this area as well and they can assist you with improving your existing home, uh, in testing it for its indoor air quality, uh, for any mold, those types of things Um, and they can also help you in planning your building and renovation as well and I've actually got an interview with a building biologist coming up on the podcast so that you can learn more about this area of expertise. Now, tip number 10 is about outdoor living. Okay, now, so remember this list was from the Queensland Department of Public Housing. And so this this tip about outdoor living won't be applicable in the way that they've written it for all climates and environments. But I want you to, to really encourage you that where it's possible, look at the um, outdoors of your home's Uh, as much as you can to create fantastic, usable and additional and enjoyable outdoor spaces. You know, if your climate actually doesn't allow you to be outside for a lot of the year, still look at how your home is going to create an indoor-outdoor connection because our well-being is greatly enhanced through a connection to natural light, the outdoors and the natural environment. So, you know, if you can bring this focus into your home so that you don't always have to go on a hike in order to get this, you know, it can make a big difference to the sustainable of your home and your health and well-being overall. If your climate does allow you to be outdoors for some or a big chunk of the year, then this, you know, designing great outdoor areas can, it can just expand the experience, the size, the spaciousness, the feel of your home as well, even in the most compact of homes. And in warmer climates, if you can create shade over these outdoor areas around the edge of your home, then that can definitely help to cool air before it enters your home. And that can improve the home's ability to stay cool during those warmer months of the year. All right, now I have covered a massive amount of information. So let's go through those tips again. There were 12 in total. There's some overlap between them because I've obviously covered my own as well as the top 10 tips from the Department of um, Public Housing's website. But these 12 tips, they can be a great guide for where to start in considering how to design a sustainable home. So number one, Know how the sun moves and design your home to respond to it. Keep it cool in summer with shading. Keep it warm in winter by letting the sun's warmth inside. Number two, lower your home's energy use overall through the selections you make and how you design your home to maintain its comfortable indoor temperature. Number three, conserve water in how you select your tapware and your appliances, in where you source your water from and in what you do with your wastewater. Tip number four, 
Heat and cool your home naturally through how you manage the warmth of the sun and maximize the natural ventilation in your home. Number five, heat your water efficiently in what hot water system and power supply you choose and in how you arrange your wet areas that need hot water. Number six, consider aging in place in how you design your home, the ages of all the people in your home and how you're going to design your home to support you at all ages and points in your lifestyle so that your home works over the long term. Number seven is choose finishes for your flooring that are safe, that enhance accessibility and design your home to minimize trip hazards, slips and falls. Number eight is to address the street with your home, make it clear and safe and secure so that visitors know how to enter your home and that your home enhances its own security and the security of the street. Number nine is to design for natural surveillance both over the street and the public areas around your home and into the play and garden spaces of your home too. This will improve your comfort in the home, its functionality and its safety and security overall. Number 10 is to reduce your home's need for maintenance by choosing durable and long-lasting materials and products. This will create a relaxing home that stands the test of time and is manageable financially over the long term. Number 11 is to make selections for your interiors that consider the indoor air quality and assess your product and material choices for their low-tox nature. Then also look at how natural ventilation can improve the quality of your indoor air environment by, by bringing obviously outdoor breezes in given how much time we spend indoors. And number 12 is to design indoor-outdoor connections that promote your connection to natural light and the natural environment and where your climate supports it, create outdoor-covered areas that you can use to enhance your lifestyle and your enjoyment in your home. And these outdoor-covered spaces, they will also cool your home by shading it as well. All right, so those are 12 tips to help you in where to begin your design process in order to create a sustainable home. When you start here, okay, the choice of creating a sustainable home can usually be done on any budget because these design measures are prioritized and they're embedded in the design process up front. And a lot of these tips involve having knowledge and resources to make alternative selections that are more environmentally friendly, more efficient and healthier for you. But I've found that in most cases, when you have that knowledge and information up front, then they come at no extra cost at all. It's also worth mentioning that bringing on team members who are aligned with your way of thinking and who work on projects that achieve these measures, that will be far simpler for you overall than working with professionals who don't work this way. Okay, so this list of 12 tips, it can actually be a really good way to have a conversation with potential designers and builders to sound out whether they're going to be a good fit for your needs uh, and whether they're actually going to add their expertise in a meaningful way for your build or renovation. Now, 12 tips may sound like a lot to juggle when designing your future home, but these are simple design measures. They're selection criteria that is simple to implement, and it can honestly make the most radical and impactful difference on how your home performs and feels and how much it costs to build and costs to run and maintain over the long term. Okay, so this is this is sustainability from those three platforms. All right. It's about environmental health and well-being, and a financial standpoint. All right. I am not expecting you to spend boatloads of extra budget. You don't have to create a sustainable design. What I'm trying to teach you is that you can do this with what you're doing anyway, when you have specific information and knowledge up front. 
All right, so that's it for our 12 super simple, impactful tips in creating a sustainable home. Tune in next week because I'm going to be interviewing Tori Walker from Bearer. So Tori is the principal energy rater at Bearer, which is a company that seeks to provide excellence in building energy ratings and advice. And Tori has been involved in the design and renovation of homes for over a decade now. And she's worked with building designers, architects, builders, homeowners, and energy assessors, both privately and professionally during this time. So Tori is going to be helping us learn why climate is so worth understanding when you design your home and how to create an energy efficient home that saves you money in construction and in its operation. I see lots of homeowners miss the opportunity of maximizing this knowledge for their project and they end up experiencing budget blowouts at the point of getting their building approvals because of all of the extra measures that they're forced to include in their home in order to fix its energy efficiency at that point. And so our interview next week is going to give you some knowledge so that you can avoid this happening in your project and start in the right place. Now, meanwhile, please remember to share this season with your friends and family who might be who might be planning a renovation or new build and share this podcast generally. I am so passionate about providing access to great quality information and professional expertise. I really want to teach you how to get it right in your future family home. So if you haven't, please head to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast so you always know when a new episode is fresh and ready to hit your ears. And also please rate the podcast and leave a review. Wherever you're located, this makes a massive difference to who iTunes shows the podcast to and whether they can uh, determine if it's relevant for them or not okay now I have a lot of uh, resources that I've mentioned in this episode so I'm going to pop those in the show notes for you as well so you can head there uh, if you want to do any further investigation yourself or grab some information from those resources as always my sincere gratitude and thanks to you and thank you so much for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally until next time bye